and when I when I was in my early 20s I had to start concentrating on writing which is what I wanted to do and on literature and you have to learn how to concentrate and I think in fishing it's very much the same at first you 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 have a kind of uh, belief uh, tacit or, or not that this is chance and yeah. then you think well if I use the better worm I'm going to get the better fish but finally you realize that there's so much going on particularly when you start fly fishing there's so much happening the movement of the currents the presence of insects and no insects the uh, uh, variety, uh, whole variety of them that, that we all know that you either have to concentrate on it and learn some of it which I have great good luck to learn on this hotel, or you're going to, to be aimless about it. You're not going to uh, take very many fish, and you're not going to enjoy it as much. And the pleasure comes from really having that greater knowledge of what's happening, the whole spectrum of what's happening on a, on a stream. From Bookworms in the Wild and from Anchor, I'm Howard Alterescue, and this is my podcast where I ask people I find interesting to tell me what they're reading. I'm in Woodstock, New York today to talk with Nick Lyons. I heard Nick speak last year at the Phoenicia Library in a talk that was called A Life Well Fished. The talk was presented by the wonderful Jerry Bartlett Angling Collection of the Phoenicia Library in its Sporting Legends of the Catskills series. Beth Waterman, a co-founder of the collection, was kind enough to introduce me to Nick. Sporting Legend of the Catskills certainly does not tell Nick's entire story, but it's a good way to think of Nick, who has been fishing in the Catskills since the age of three, which was quite some time ago. Nick has also written 20 highly regarded books about his passion for the outdoors and fly fishing, has edited and published many more, and Nick also, for 25 years, wrote the seasonable angler column for Fly Fisherman magazine. Nick's memoir, Spring Creek, is a love letter to a creek in Montana. In it, Nick writes that he aims for his writing to be rich enough to catch some of the stillness complexity, joy, fierce intensity, frustration, practicality, hilarity, fascination, and satisfaction that he finds in fly fishing. If you read anything that Nick has written, you will enjoy that richness. Let's go in and ask Nick what he's reading and to talk to us about what he's written. I spoke with Nick in late February, and I'm happy to get this episode published as fishing season is about to take off with reports from Asopus Creel of improving conditions, BWOs, and Hendrickson's on the Asopus, which is the first of the many rivers that Nick and I discuss. It sends its pleasures. You don't have yes. to be as intense as Ostapchik, but it's, yeah. <clears throat> it's a very interesting river. The yeah. tributaries are very interesting. But that's so... <clears throat> one of the things spring so I'm always trying to learn one of the things Spring Creek taught me which I knew but <clears throat> reinforced because I, I just read it 
was to spend time on the river. Yeah. Every day is different. Yeah. Every minute's different. They are. I, I was thinking recently about doing a um, a uh, weekend or a week with the Housatonic and the Farmington and the Beaverkill mm -hmm. and the Upper Delaware hmm. and the Esopus and so on and so forth, which would be nice. Sure. But spending more time on the Esopus, learning that. Yeah. I think there's nothing quite as pleasurable as uh, having one river, not a home river necessarily, but one that you fished fairly regularly over a long period of time. Yeah. yeah. I spent most of my years in Brooklyn making a long subway trip and then a train <clears throat> up to Brewster to fish the east branch of the I, I fished. I, I did that a lot <laughs> because we lived, we lived in Westchester for yeah. many, many years, and mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time on the east branch. Yeah, but... We had named all the pools with our own uh, denomination <laughs> and uh, would speak with, with uh, the three or four of us that fished it, uh, would speak with a kind of shorthand about yeah. it up until this year. I just, uh, a very close friend of mine was an old roommate of mine in, in college, uh, Mort Seaman, who owned Seaman's Furniture. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> and we used to fish it every year. On opening day, and recently I got a note from him with symbols B B E B O D. Fish the Big Ben pool on on the East Branch for opening day. That's terrific. I fished the Amawak too. Yeah, I did too. Not not very productive, but but beautiful. It's an odd river, a gorgeous river. Yeah. I, I had been told that the best section of the Amawalk was where it goes into the reservoir and that you come in from the bottom, yes. which means coming in over a field and fishing that lower section. And this goes back a long time, but, but when I first discovered it, I swear it was the best dry fly fishing in the East. That's a it long time ago. It was spectacular. It's a long time ago. They were, I mean, fish 17, 18 inches. Yeah. It, up in the water, feeding. Wow. Um, they come up from the lake and they come down from the stream. And it was very placid, unlike the water up uh, near, the, near the, where we all go in. Yeah. But uh, it, was, it was absolutely lovely. And it lasted for a couple of years. And then I heard it wasn't there. This right. would have been the 60s, 66, 67, that a friend of mine found out about it. Wonderful fishing. No one there. Yeah, it's always very quiet. <laughs> I never had any luck up in the main section, right, which right. was no kill yes. and presumably filled with fish, but I never caught a fish there. Like I, ten times I went. Yeah. But the lower section, yeah. which was a little later than my teenage years, I must have I've been married uh, already, uh, was spectacular. I mean, yeah. you could see the fish and the water was about that high, only two feet. Very clear, um, and very large fish up and 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 rising. That's that's great, all we want. Great we're, fishing. That's all we yeah. want. So you get four or five really interesting fish. Yeah. And it was lovely. It didn't last long. I fished in New Zealand this wow. past uh, uh, Christmas exciting. holiday. That's exciting. We had to get. We had to go. We we were invited to a wedding, which mm -hmm. was wonderful, uh, and I think my wife lured me there. By mm -hmm. making arrangements on both islands to fish, mm. I, I mentioned it because you talk about the clarity of the water, uh -huh. gin clear, uh -huh. nothing dry, 
Yeah. But but you were sight fishing. Yeah. And you could it was almost like dry fishing because right. you saw the fish move to your fly. I heard you long distances between fish, but the yeah. fish of uh, the fish were exceptional big. size. Exceptional size, and you could see them. Yeah. And if you had a guide who had guide eyes and right. and knew the river, yeah, you could you know he'd see them and then you'd see them. Yeah. And uh, it almost was, scared me away that kind of fishing. Yeah. Sounds like you get one or two casts after walking a half a mile or so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, yes, a couple, I... so a couple of questions yeah. for you. Yes, sure. Um, so you um, you've written written extensively about fly fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recall if you referred to your favorite books. It, there was some article that where you talked about favorite books. I don't know. Do you have favorite books about fly fishing? About fly fishing? Yeah. <clears throat> I think anything by Tom McGuane. Uh, he's a brilliant writer, period. And when he writes about fishing, it's also very brilliant. And I very much, The Longest Silence is an excellent collection of his fishing, fly the lo- fishing. The Longest piece. Silence? The Longest Silence. I think the one I like best is Ted Ted Leeson's book, The Habit of, of Trout, okay. uh, which is a brilliant book. I like a lot of earlier books, the British books um, in particular. I think that um, um, Golden Days by Romilly Fedden, about fishing in, in France before the First World War, oh. is a wonderful book. I'm very, very fond of a book uh, called Where the Bright Waters Meet by a man named Harry Plunkett Green, who was a concert singer, not about six, four, or five. It's about a little river called uh, the Bourne, B-O-U-R-N-E. And um, um, he said the trout were, were, were so, so thoughtful that they would uh, never... Uh, have the bad form of taking a nymph. <laughs> it's a great dry fly river. It's a delicious book. I don't know the literature very well, but I, I have some favorites. And Plunkett Green is one. Romilly Fedden is another. And um, I think some of the Skewy's stories of, by Skew's are wonderful. They're just brilliant stories. So you've talked really about a mix. I, I refer to your writing as poetry, ah, if you don't that's mind. Very, that's very sweet. Well, I, I, think <laughs> I wanted to be a poet a long time ago, and, but I could only write fishing stories. <laughs> it's okay. And uh, But in some of the books you're referring to, it, it's and, and a lot of the books you've published are instructional books, mm-hmm. which are important. Mm-hmm. But, the poet, but the poetry what gets us in my view is what gets us to fish yeah i i agree howard i think that uh, for myself um my eyes close on most of the technical books um though i think that there are people who who are passionate about them and who who um uh, feel that that they are the heart of fishing writing and the rest of it is a is, is something very loose and poetic, but not really very helpful. Well, Spring them. Creek was helpful as well as being poetic, I, yeah. I think. I mean, helpful as a practical matter, but, yeah. but more importantly, it was the poetry. Yeah. I looked on my shelf in the yurt at the house, and I had 15 of books, several that you wrote, but uh, many that you published. And mm-hmm. I looked back, and it was... Um, 
uh, Dave Whitlock's Guide yes. to Aquatic Trout Food. Yeah. And it's so wonderful when I, I hadn't opened it in years, but it was almost entirely underlined. Yes, <laughs> good. Uh, and it was, yeah, it's instructional, but it's also, it's foundational. Mm-hmm. to have some idea what's going on down there. All right. Um, Dave, is, Dave is a wonderful, uh, wonderfully knowledgeable person about, uh, about fly fishing. He loves it to pieces, and it's his whole life. And I, I uh, though his painting is nothing like the painting that I, I like most, it's very charming. And the world of fly fishing uh, is charming in itself. Um, I think they're wonderful books. He's very knowledgeable. He's thought about it. He's gone underwater to look at what happens. Um, he's figured out ways to make trout streams more productive. His vibrant box, box uh, system of, of planting eggs rather than planting stocked fish yeah. is very, very important. And he's a brilliant uh, fly tire as well. I still hear from him regularly. I get letters with drawings on them. That's wonderful. Uh, on, the, on the face. Do you tie at all? I, don't. I did, and I tied very clumsily. I tie clumsily. Um, and I, I thought you didn't, and, and you're saying you really don't, yeah. uh, because you refer so often to the people who tied the flies you're using. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I guess I'm a kind of amateur student of fly tying, uh, of, of flies, not of fly yes. tying. Yes, yes, yes. And the difference between uh, a Whitlock grasshopper and, uh, and, and something from, from anyone else is quite substantial. And even watching Art Flick's flies, which we, he would give me by the handful, and comparing them to others, the degree to which they were very sturdy and stood up for a good number of fish, was wonderful to see. I, I, I think I learned something about flies and certainly what exactly. was most productive I like now uh, a lot of flies by Craig Matthews, the uh, the uh, uh, shopkeeper and, and writer in West Yellowstone. Uh, he has found a way to combine great durability with uh, some of the the uh, uh, no hackle underneath yep. the fly, which is very good. His pale morning done was the best one I could use, <laughs> and very different. Al Troth would only tie the pale morning gun on a 17 hook, <laughs> not the 16, not the 18. <laughs> and they were very effective also. And, you know, I had a dozen favorites. Uh, Troth's uh, uh, caddis flies, elk hair caddis, is a wonderful fly. Whitlock's grasshopper, Craig's PMD. Uh, it's very nice to have that sense. And I, I know that, but I don't know how to tie any of them. So again, I'm clumsy as a tire, but just l- learning a little bit mm-hmm. tells me more about the flies. Yeah. So I'd love to be able to tie them, but just knowing what goes into tying them yes. tells me about the flies. It's very important. Yeah. And the considerations of, of what the water will do to the color and what the yes the attitude of the fly on the water will be once it's tied. Yeah. Um, all of these are very interesting. So I, I, I published uh, Selective Trout. Uh, which is the first one of the first technical books I published, and uh, became very interested in the whole concept of what the trout sees and how the the hackles uh, obscure the silhouette of the fly, yeah. which I think Marinaro and others uh, are correct in saying is more important than than anything else. The silhouette. 
Yeah, the silhouette is most important, and the body color. So uh, I've been... Uh, Phoenicia Library every year has a fly-tying course at this mm -hmm. time of the year. Mm -hmm. Hank Ropes uh, runs a course, and mm -hmm. others he's participate. Very good. Yeah. He's very, very good. And we were talking just yesterday about whether you need wings on... Well, we were using uh, tying an atom, but a mayfly generally. Mm -hmm. Whether the, the, the wings are good for... The fishermen, because mm -hmm. we see it. All right. But do the fish see the wings? Yeah. Well, many flies come down uh, with, a, with a stock silhouette. Nothing spread out. But I think they come down both ways. I think that a somewhat um, um, damaged or, or well-worn fly will often put the wings out on the sides, flange them out. I, I have had very good luck, even with the old fan wing coachman, which is as much a wing as, as you'd expect. But I think the wing is important, frankly. Hard to tie on. Hmm? <laughs> it's hard to tie on. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> as important as it may be. I know. So, uh, and I know you, mostly we're going to talk about fly fishing, but you, you're wide, widely read um, on fly be. fishing. So what are your interests in, in reading beyond fly fishing? Well, there are very many, Howard. Um, I, I, I have about 15 um, people that I read over and over in poetry. I love Yeats, and I go back to Yeats and know several dozen poems of his by heart. Uh, I'm very fond of Melville, particularly the Melville of Moby Dick, but also the short novels as well, Benito Serino and, and uh, Billy Budd. Um, of the modern writers... Uh, I have everything. I like everything of McGuane. I think yes. he's very interesting. A poet as well. Uh, I think I think he really loves language. Yeah. And what, what whatever you call it. Um, I I read some of the Japanese novels uh, with immense pleasure and went back to them. There's a writer named Kawabata, who was who was splendid. Um, I've begun to read Philip Roth again. I hadn't read him in many, many years. He's terrific. He's, he is terrific. I, I read S Sabbath's uh, Theater a couple of weeks ago, which is really a very earthy, earthy book. And I think it's brilliant. It's, I, I think he got the National Book Award for it. Coming back to fly fishing. Sure. Um, so you capture the experience and the feelings. I, as I said, I think what you read is poetry. But you capture uh, feelings and inner thoughts of so many of us who uh, cast flies Thank for you. trout. Yes. Uh, I mentioned we were in New Zealand. My son Dave uh, caught many big fish, but there was the biggest fish all of us caught was a fish he caught. Uh, we were with a the guide. Uh, they unhooked it. I was walking over to take a picture, and the fish bolted through a uh, hole in the net. Huh. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> and. Um, one of the things you wrote in Spring Creek was, uh, you, so you had watched your friend, uh, I can't recall his name. Wellington? Yeah. Uh, so you watched him uh, hook, play, and ultimately lose a yeah. monster trap. Absolutely huge. <laughs> it was close to 30 inches. Oh, that is massive. <laughs> um, and you wrote, I felt then and feel now years later, as you must feel reading this, as all of us feel at such moments, as if I'd lost a part of myself 
and forever would be searching for it. <laughs> <laughs> and my son Dave said, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> so did you have similar experiences yourself fishing and where you're still searching for these memories? Um, I, I, I think I've never had anything that big. I've had some very large tarpon, which is a very different game entirely. But uh, I, I can remember losing a few large trout, but I, I have never been obsessed with the large that, fish. That's really what I'm, yeah. So that, um, um, I think the, the, the one thing that I still think of most is my son Paul, who is now dead, um, <clears throat> was fishing Odell with me one day. And um, the fish were rising regularly for pale morning duns. And Paul is a very good fisherman. I think he's probably a lousy knot tire. <laughs> and I saw him lose five in a row. Wow. He took them. They got one, one jump or one shot from them. And I think I feel that more than any other. I was so anxious for him to get some good fish. And then he was busting them off. One the fish were... We had the right fly, we were in the right place, he cast well, and uh, that hurt me, and that I remember. But mostly for myself, I lost a couple of big ones here and there, I can hardly remember. <laughs> you've, you've done a couple, of, you've been on the river for a couple of days. Yeah. And it's funny what you say about your son, uh, that the, the anxiety was for him. Uh, when we were fishing a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had been separated, but the boys sent me, so my son-in-law, my son, uh, had sent pictures of, texted mm -hmm. pictures of fish they caught. And I said to the guide, I'm just waiting for a picture of Ben with his fish. <laughs> and when I saw that, I said, okay, it's a great day. <laughs> That's the way we are. Yeah. I, I, I think in the matter of teaching one's children, I have three sons and... Uh, Paul came closest to having any interest in fly fishing, but he was just too interested in literary scholarship and his own writing. He wrote three novels. He never became a fisherman. He would, in Montana, he would come with me three or four times, but it never caught. The other two have no interest in it at all. I've yeah. given them rods. I put them on the best water I could find. <laughs> so, just so much you can do. It's more the intensity that I've always had yeah. that I think probably put them off. Yeah, I think that's why my kids never became lawyers and bankers. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the same thing. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there was another uh, passage from Spring Creek where you talked about um, fussing around trout rivers with the aimless curiosity of a dog. And I unfortunately <laughs> associated with that. <laughs> Uh, what can you do to overcome that feeling of inadequacy? So it, maybe you said it at the beginning, which is spend time on the river, yeah. you know, one river and learn the river. But this, the fact that, you know, I'm a weekend fisherman. I know. Me too, for most of my life. Yeah. Except for a few excursions. I, th I think it's, it's, it's the same as learning to concentrate on anything well. The, the uh, difficulty and vicissitudes of a law case, uh, or in my case... Um, I had gone to the Wharton School of Finance and Commerce and, and studied to be in insurance and did miserably at it. Um, and when I, when I was in my early 20s, I had to start concentrating on writing, which is what I wanted to do, and on literature. 
and you have to learn how to concentrate. And I think in fishing, it's very much the same. At first, you, you, you have a kind of uh, belief, uh, tacit or, or not, that this is chance. And yeah. then, then you think, well, if I use the better worm, I'm going to get the better fish. But finally, you realize that there's so much going on, particularly when you start fly fishing. There's so much happening. The movement of the currents, the presence of insects or no insects, the uh, um, variety, the whole variety of them that, that we all know, that you either have to concentrate on it and learn some of it, which I have the the great good luck to learn on this Odell, or you're going to, to be aimless about it. You're not going to uh, take very many fish and you're not going to enjoy it as much. And the pleasure comes from really having that greater knowledge of what's happened, the whole spectrum of what's happening on a, on a stream. And I think you refer to that uh, when you talk about uh, why there's so much literature about fly fishing. And the difference, literature, there are lots of inst golf instructional books. Yes. I don't know if there's poetry about golf, but... One or two good anthologies by a man named Herbert Warren Wind. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, who wrote for the New Yorker that are quite nice, and uh, but limited, I think. I, I, I don't have any interest in them. And, and so what is it about fly fishing? It, well, maybe it's everything you just said. I think There's it's so much going on. I think that's this astonishing variety, and it goes from the very technical of using a fly that minutely is better than another fly, up to the sense that you're doing it in such a beautiful place, that you're in the natural world. You have the sky in Montana, the great sky, all the time, um, the changing weather that takes place, the movement of the water, the presence of flies or no flies the capriciousness of the trout uh, at times and at other times the regularity of them that you have to learn. Uh, this, this guy Wellington said that there was a rhythm, rhythm to the rise and he would wait until the right moment, not just to cast to the yes, rise, yes, but yes. wait for the rhythm. He see that. I, I, I was too hopeless to do that. I went <laughs> back very quickly. But I, I think that the the fullness comes from the variety of the stories, uh, the richness of the technology, the presence of such a a fulsome history that it has going back many years, with some really superb writers uh, having engaged in it. Um, uh, Lord Grey's book on trout fishing is a wonderful book, an intelligent book, uh, and there are many others. I think uh, Walton is worth going back to, John. And you don't have with golf or any other sport going back and back into this textured world where we're even concerned of, about what flies they used in Macedonia and, and, and in BC. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't exist either in space, either in time, or in uh, really the space. It's so various. From New Zealand and the kind of fishing you do there to what goes on in South America, I guess, fishing for tarpon, which is, uh, you know, fish you never you get a fifty pounder, which they consider worth getting rid of, <laughs> and it's the biggest fish you've ever seen. Yeah. 
Um, so if, if you're yeah. fishing, so you, you're referring to the flies. If you're fishing here uh, in the Catskills and you had one fly, what would it be? I think it would have to be the Adams. It's such a good fly. A well-tied Adams, perhaps, no, without hackle. Without hackle? Without hackle and with uh, using a hair wing, perhaps, instead of uh, a traditional Catskill tie. I, I think that would probably be the the best and there are varieties of the atoms that I would probably choose a little more and the size would depend on the season and yeah. so forth but it's a good fly so, so there's a one fly contest in there are probably several yeah. now but there was one in Wyoming many years ago yeah. probably still yeah. going did you ever fish in that? no I, I don't like contests yeah. at all it has yeah. nothing to do with fishing but, for me. when actually it, I was struck in Jackson Wyoming yeah. Jackson Jackson yeah. but I, I was struck um, in some of the things you've written which again resonated I, I love friends I love fishing particularly with my boys yeah or my kids my yep. daughter fishes as well as my wife does but uh, the solitude when I go out on my own yeah it's lovely it's very special yeah it's very different we spend most of our lives not alone but in some kind of a connection to the world. And uh, um, I have a friend or two that I've enjoyed being on the water with. Usually they're people who go off and fish for themselves and then we come together and yes. talk a little bit. Uh, I um, I feel very strongly that against all competition. It just seems to me another world. I mean, why not? hunt turtles or something <laughs> but you're hurting the fit no matter they all claim that you're putting the fish back when you're taking it out you're putting it in a live well you're holding it up yeah. in a bag uh, i i can't understand any of it the pleasure or the interest the speed of catching a fish doesn't make any sense to me i mean it is a separate private reasonably private experience yeah. Yeah. Um, and i i have written a number of times against competition but, you know, even Joan Wolfe was a wonderful fly fisher, of course, and a wonderful human being. She loves the one fly. It's fun yeah. to get out there, and, and I'm making, too, making it too serious yeah. that I dislike this stuff. Well, I just wouldn't have fun at it. Yeah. So, just so wouldn't you trust me at all. You don't do it. You don't do it. <laughs> and I appreciate that, you know, that it is essentially a... A reasonably private thing. Yeah, this again, the solitude is, is just yeah, wonderful. Very, yeah. very rare in this very busy world. So, this, one other topic you talk about in a couple different places is uh, your, your love for fishing, but you couldn't do it all the time. That's right. Having the city, yeah, or having something else, but you refer to the city yeah. is so important. It is, Howard, to me. Um, I mean, I have a French friend, Pierre Afra who claims to fish uh, 350 days of the year. And then the other days it's, it's a hurricane or something. <laughs> um, and he's, I think he's, he's always interested in it. He loves it. And I'm, I know that people like Dave Whitlock fish almost every day or draw about fishing. Girak now is a full-time fisherman who used to write poetry not about fishing at all. There are a lot of people who do it. I'm just saying for myself, there are a lot of other things. Yeah. At one side of it, there's Mozart. On the other side of it, there's the excitement of doing business in the world with other people and not trying to beat them, but to 
figure out the great complexity of doing, getting a book published and, and seeing it go out into the world and changing someone's life, either by the reader or the person who was happy to get it published. Um, and then there's a solitude of fishing. It's a great combination. And then there's a solitude of fishing. And I like, I, I, I like the, the richness of it, the complexity of it. That's what I want. Like hot and sour soup or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So you mentioned John Gerich, um, sex, death, and fly fishing. Yeah. Many, years, many, many years ago when my oldest son was eight, maybe ten, he looked at the cover and with concern he said, Dad, this is really about fishing, right? Yes. <laughs> and I said, right. yes. Although I've quoted several times uh, his, there's a paragraph about the life cycle of the mayfly. Right. Where the mayfly, after engaging in sex for the first and only time of his life, <laughs> right. falls to the water with a smirk on his face, although it's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very funny. Uh, he's very good. He's um, very good. Thanks very much to Nick for taking the time to discuss with me his life well fished and the books he enjoys related to fly fishing and otherwise. A life both well-fished and well-lived indeed. More information about Nick can be found on our website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com. Our website also includes links to the books and other resources we referred to in our discussion. Thanks especially to my podcast team. Dave created the podcast with me and is my producer. Ron is responsible for art direction and design, for the podcast, our website, my bookmark, and other merch to come. Let me know if you'd like a bookmark sent to you. Melanie, as always, is in control of most everything, even on maternity leave, and has provided overall creative direction. Ben and Eden provide additional inspiration and support, and, of course, Carol is my muse, as well as my affiliate manager. Jake is doing the best he can to stay awake to listen to the podcast. The entire Wolfpack is also responsible for introducing me to most of our guests. Thanks also to the great Anchor team for making it free and easy to create the podcast. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. And in any event, let me have your comments, either directly on the podcast or at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you on the podcast next time.